welcome to Trans Canada Stories. I'm Cynthia Sweeney and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Emma Stanley. I use she, her pronouns. In this podcast, we go beyond the binary coast to coast, telling the stories of trans people as people. Today, we are speaking with Ronnie, who is living in Toronto, Ontario, and was a sensitivity reader on Shelley Thompson's first novel entitled Roar. In celebrating the launch of Roar, we are excited to learn more about what being a sensitivity reader is all about from the perspective of a member of the QT BIPOC community. Ronnie identifies as a trans woman of color and is an immigrant settler in Turtle Island. Ronnie uses she, her pronouns and is a registered psychotherapist, diversity and wellness consultant in the arts and entertainment production, a trauma-informed practice specialist with challenge accepted and clinical supervisor at the Toronto Institute for Relational Psychotherapy. Ronnie's work focuses on ending cycles of violence by addressing the roots of oppression and discrimination through research, psychoeducation, social programming, mindfulness training, and consultation services. She also has a pretty spectacular coming out story. Welcome to the show, Ronnie. Thank you for having me. If you want to maybe start off, Ronnie, and just tell uh, everybody here um, just a little bit about like where you're from. So I was born in Trinidad and Tobago in um, the late 80s and moved to Canada in the 90s. And I've been here for 25 years and I'm still cold. I've not adapted or climatized (laughs) to the weather. And I've lived in Ontario ever since. Ronnie, you have an impressive CV and among your many roles, one of them is a sensitivity reader. I know you worked recently with Shelley Thompson, creating her book, Roar. Can you tell us about the role you played in that work and how you came to be a reader on this particular story? Sure. Thank you. Um, So I became a sensitivity reader on this story because Shelley and I knew each other through her son, T. Thomason, who is a musician and I'm a super fan. Um, Same. when, (laughs) yes. And when um, she was looking for a reader, my name came up uh, because she knows that I do very similar work. And the process of being a sensitivity reader is pretty straightforward. You read the book, you have a visceral reaction to things, you take note of it, and you bring it to the author and the team to kind of discuss what that experience was all about. And what they were really looking for was uh, overall, what is the impact of this book on trans communities? One of the questions I asked myself when I was reading was, how can we make this, how can we make the author's voice as clear as possible around what are you trying to communicate and what what is um, the most authentic Mm -hmm. thing that you are trying to bring forward in the story? Um, I think a lot of times when people are writing stories about trans communities, there's such a heavy burden of needing to represent or be the representation or be accurate in the mm-hmm. representation. And sometimes that kind of troubles the storytelling part. Um, and so it's a fine balance. Um, I think Shelley did a fantastic job. Uh, it was a really enjoyable read. So I've been reading the book myself and I'm, I'm curious if you have an example of a change that you made or a suggestion that you made over the course of it. Not so much a change or a suggestion, but again, more of a conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There was one moment where, um, I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you. There was one moment where 
but Don is confronted by basically a bully who was harassing her throughout the story. And she was able to kind of deal with that in a quote-unquote dignified way. Um, and that was the feedback that she got that, you know, you, you handled mm -hmm. that in a dignified way. And something about that made me feel uh, a bit challenged uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, trans people are often expected to be the one that holds the dignity mm -hmm. when their dignity is being stripped away. And so to be praised for being dignified feels like it's kind of a shutdown on what might be a more authentic reaction, like, you know, crying or shaking or getting angry. But it kind of led to a very beautiful conversation between me and Shelley around, you know, what that moment was all about for the family. And I think that that's, that was a really eye-opening conversation for me. And it hit me personally because this book is about a family. Mm -hmm. It's not about a trans character. And I think that that's one of the, the, the major strengths about this book. Throughout the book, I think Dawn is so uh, composed and dignified through so many episodes that I think maybe it was, do you think you would agree that it was the idea of showing how maybe undignified the family had behaved or was behaving in the beginning and that's sort of their journey to becoming um, more like Dawn? That's an interesting point. Yeah, I think I relate to that point very personally in the fact that, you know, I try to hold myself with that dignity as well. I think in some ways it has been um, a barrier to connecting deeply with my my own family in the sense that I protect them mm. from what I go through in the world. And I feel very embarrassed when they experience the trans or witness transphobia directed at me. I want to protect them from it um, and also protect them from the impact on me. And so I think it it's interesting, right? It hits different people in different places. And I think that um, the book reads like an ensemble piece, right? Because you get so many different voices in and so many different vantage points and entry points into thinking through how relationships unfold. Reading through it, for me, has been pretty interesting because it is giving me this perspective of what was happening outside of my own head. And as far as I am in the book, the person we get the least information about what she's thinking is Dawn. We get the least information about what Dawn is thinking in any particular scene. So having been through that process in the first person, reading about the reactions other people had to that has been pretty interesting for me, occasionally eye-opening. Um, was it the same for you? 100%. So I read this book over Father's Day. And <laughs> um, the book is about her and her dad, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, I, I, I have uh, my own journey. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. um, it, what it did was it gave me touch points to understand the other person, yeah. to understand my, my dad. And it actually allowed me to kind of honor the ways he was trying to connect rather than me trying to figure out, well, you need to connect on my terms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but it really kind of uh, opened up my, my thinking to a much broader perspective. And I really appreciated that about the book. It was a hard read over the, <laughs> yeah. over the Father's Day weekend. It was, it was a lot, but it, was, it, was, um, it had a strong impact. I think what 
often, you know, movies can never really capture that you can get from the story of the book is I do love mm-hmm. that I could really get into the heads of the characters, that you could actually, you know, you, you actually read what, what they were feeling in those moments, um, which I think probably hit me quite viscerally as, as a parent of a, of a trans child, of, but more of, oh, you know, you're getting it wrong, you know, or, um, or, or the idea of freezing in the moment, which I think so many people do in the very beginning when you're on this journey because it's, you don't have the language necessarily to bounce back or you're not prepared for, for what you might be receiving. But um, I think especially with the sister's point of view and, and Tammy and kind mm-hmm. of getting inside Tammy's mm-hmm. head a little bit, um, it was a really nice, you know, we often don't talk about the siblings of, of trans people when we're, you know, you're looking at um, transition stories and that you don't, we forget sometimes that there's there's a journey there for the siblings as well that they go through. Yeah, it, it just kind of shows even the relationship to the the town, not the people, but the setting, right? Like there's so many relationships that that this book um, brings to light um, and it's it's a powerhouse in that respect. Reading it from the intersections of being a trans woman and a member of the Black community as well, and within your identity, um, the intersectionality, how did you find that that impacted your reading of the story and the particular characters like uh, like Jill as well? One piece of feedback I, I had for Shelley was um, I was craving more from Jill and Banu because I know people <laughs> like Jill and Banu in real life. I think that was integrated for sure um, because these characters are also people that Shelley knows as well. And I think she was really heartened to know that people actually wanted more uh, from these characters. Not so much reading it from that point of intersectionality, but, but reading it from the vantage point of, you know, these stories don't often get written and they don't often include... Um, the, the hard realities. And one question Shelley had for me was, you know, how how is the the scene uh, that that includes transphobic violence? How did that land for you? And I had an interesting perspective. I said it was actually kind of soothing more than triggering. I often don't see those experiences represented alongside trans representation. Um, often people uh, soften, the experience and so it was actually kind of nice to see that other people who are reading this book will know what an example of day-to-day violence mm-hmm. discrimination looks like feels like sounds like to my earlier point around you know the representation versus the storytelling uh, you know this book is not really meant to be an instruction manual for how to accept a trans person it's mostly just a story about about a family and I really loved it. I loved it too. I mean, yeah, no, no, it's a fantastic yeah. book, and it, it's a book that is existing in a challenging space because when representation is so thin on the ground, there is this desire from every person who interacts with that work for it to represent them particularly. And I'm reading through it and going, "This isn't my experience, not really at all." Um, I had a very different experience of the whole thing. Some parts better, some parts more challenging, and. It's easy for us as readers 
to say this isn't representative because I don't feel affinity with with all parts of it and remembering that until there is as broad a representation as there is an experience, <laughs> we won't each of us find that uh, that representation within a work. You, as you say, it's not a manual. It's not a. It's just one story. One work cannot bear the weight of representation. We need to uh, get it into all things uh, the way it is represented in 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 life. Absolutely, and I do this work in in, in entertainment production, right? And so I I talk to artists and creators in the community who are doing this work. And, um, you know, I often ask, like, are you, are you setting out to do the representation thing? Often people say, no, I'm not trying to represent a whole community. Mm-hmm. And when I get that feedback of like, oh, thank you for the representation we never had, it kind of feels like a bit of a burden in a way mm-hmm. that, that now I have to take on this thing and a double standard that other artists and creators don't necessarily get asked about what are you trying to represent and how are you holding that responsibility for your community? And so I think sometimes the representation conversation gets muddy um, because that that is such a, a burden we place. But it's also because, as you were pointing out, uh, it is already so thin. And mm-hmm. so, again, there's that delicate balance. I think, yeah, I, I was able to read the story also through my professional lens as a therapist. I work exclusively in trans communities. And so a lot of my clients, all of my clients are are trans or non-binary. And so I was able to draw on some of the stories I hear in my work to kind of inform the the read as well. And I think that's, that's also one of the reasons why I was chosen uh, to be a sensitivity reader. Hmm. Time to take a break from this Trans Canada Stories for a TD Connected Communities moment. Today we're talking a lot about trans people in literature, and no one book is going to cover the entire experience. If you check the show notes, you'll find a list of suggested readings that include characters from a breadth of intersections, and we hope you check it out. That was a TD Connected Community moment, because community matters. So speaking of... Uh, trans and non-binary people in the media. I I, I have to ask about uh, your experience on Shine True. Um, <laughs> this is a documentary that aired on Out TV. Um, the show supports non-binary young adults in navigating challenges around being able to be themselves and be out. Um, you were on the show in its first season, correct? That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's the story there? Um, How was that as an experience? I saw a casting call right when the pandemic hit. And I thought, you know, I I better do something creative, do something interesting. But I didn't know what the experience was going to be when I signed up. Mm -hmm. And they started asking about my parents. And surely enough, they wanted to film my parents. And they wanted to film me talking to my parents. Mm And then it was like, oh, this is me coming out to my parents in the park. Um, Okay. And so (laughs) I did that. I did that. Part of the show was about giving me a little bit of a, it's not really a makeover, but more of a boost, Mm -hmm. a little glow up and kind of walked some roads with me that I was kind of stuck in my own transition. 
A few things I, I got from the experience. I was able to show my parents what it means to be trans rather than having them trying to figure it out conceptually in their okay. minds. Um, so once they saw me dolled up and, and they saw how happy I was and that I had friends who were supporting mm -hmm. me, that's what they focused on. Um, they weren't really trying to figure me out. They just wanted to see me happy. So I got that out of it. And the other thing I got from it was, um, you know, being a therapist, I help a lot of people <laughs> and um, sometimes feel myself helpless. And um, I was not asking people to help me in my journey. And that's exactly what the show taught me uh, that mm -hmm. I needed to do was one of the hosts, Lucas Silvera, who's also a musician and trans, and Richie Shazam, also a trans supermodel, they just accompanied me places and, and did things with me. Um, it wasn't an extravagant mm -hmm. um, kind of thing they had to do. I just needed some company. <laughs> and oh. so that was a really eye-opening part of the experience um, being on the show. I'm really glad that they gave you that sense of maybe community um, mm -hmm. of having someone to back you up because I think that that very much that is one of the biggest challenges of being trans or non-binary. There are few of us, and uh, unlike uh, certainly some, if not maybe all of the other identities in uh, the two S LGBTQIA spectrum. A lot of uh, a lot of trans people, at least uh, binary trans people, carry the goal of not living that identity publicly, and so even within our small community, part of our small community wants to do anything other than associate with our <laughs> with with people like them. So it does lead to this isolation that is is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I am curious if you had any feelings or reaction to the sort of sensationalism surrounding the the coming out moment and phrasing it as a, a moment in time that you do and is then done, um, where the experience of that doesn't really seem to play out uh, that way in real life, where transitioning is not something you do, it's something you do over and over and over. And coming out is something you do over and over and over. Um, I told my parents six years ago, and yesterday I was still on the phone to another agency <laughs> as I am trying to get through this process of changing my name with everyone going back 30 years, and that's that's quite difficult for me. So to 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 sum up that question, while I appreciate the show has some extremely good aspects, is the sensationalism of coming out, are there are there downsides to that? Yeah, it's a good point. I think that when we look at trans people in a vacuum, the coming out moment seems to be the pinnacle, the peak, because it's the moment you find out, right? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be loved or am I going to be tossed aside as waste? And the, the real story comes through when you look at trans people in relationships. And what happens in relationships is much more complex mm -hmm. than 
either you're accepted or you're not. And that's what I think the book also exemplifies that it that it it was a month long and, yeah. and possibly into the future. Like for example, with me and my parents who are um experiencing their later years, kind of forgetting my pronouns or yeah. or or things like that 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 are actually um that in ways that that don't bother me as much anymore because I I I had that moment with them where they were able to kind of um kind of honor my happiness um and so the the when you put trans people in relationships you see that the coming out story is is not the story the story is actually about the relationship and um, so I think it, it it does a disservice to to everybody in a way um, when that moment is highlighted, because then in the in the real world when the relationship is unfolding, you don't really have a roadmap. You you can kind of feel a bit lost um, and stuck, wondering, mm -hmm. well, this part of the story isn't represented anywhere. I, I'm kind of lost. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, um, so with you, you being born in Trinidad and Tobago, was it? Uh, and yes, so sir. your family having grown up there, uh, what's the culture like there with regards to trans rights um, and um, the laws around criminality and, and homosexuality or being transgender? Yeah, um, mixed bag, right? So 2019 was their first Pride Parade. Um, so that gives you a little bit of a barometer for where the country is at. Um, you know, it is, um, there are trans people in the country. There are a lot of LGBT folks who organize in the country. Um, and it is also um, a place where um, a, a lot of bias and stereotypes and stigma also live. Um, I think when we're talking about countries that are impacted by colonial, like a, a history of colonial violence, um, we we are more likely to see um, evidence of transphobia and homophobia. Um, and so I make that link because sometimes the thinking goes that, you know, BIPOC communities are inherently transphobic. And I think that that is a really funny thing because um, most places around the world honor trans people um, throughout the existence of time. And it was actually only through contact with uh, European colonial settlers that um, that kind of way of viewing the world and other people shifted into more um, uh, aggressive and uh, violent dynamics. And so um, Trinidad has a long way to go. And uh, I have only visited the country a handful of times in the last 25 years, in a large part due to my own sense that um, I would not necessarily be safe. But it's nice that the culture then didn't impact your parents' acceptance of you when you came out, or it sounds like, yeah? No, it, I, I think I think they kind of struggled with that when I came out as queer in the early 2000s. And that, that was the first wave 
of um Ease I actually got a it. much better reception coming out as trans than I did as queer. Um and my 16-year-old self was kind of pissed off <laughs> that my 30-year-old self got such a warm welcome. Mm. The teenager was like shafted, like, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's well changing times, and I don't know. I, I, it's interesting that I, you know, I see with young people that I, I work with or families through volunteering with P Flag, you know, often there's the young people that will try it out as you know as queer or more of as a sexual orientation first, not necessarily trying it out. They're probably in that process of exploring, but that's where they go first, and then you know some of them progress to um, maybe I'm non-binary, maybe I'm trans down the road, and and and, and some don't. On that note, I was just curious if maybe they wrote it down wrong. I was looking uh, up Shine True, and um, they just have the name Ronnie listed. I'm assuming it's you because there's only been one season, but they had the pronouns as they, them. So I was wondering if you have gone through uh, a, an experimentation phase or if it was recorded incorrectly. Nope. I identified as non-binary um for a long time um and um i think it was kind of it it, it was definitely true to how i felt at the time mm -hmm. but i think i needed that 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 space between or beyond genders to really find um my deeper truth yeah, absolutely. And, and and actually part of it is that I still identify as non-binary. <laughs> that 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 part of me is is so strong. And yet um what what is stronger, what is deeper, what was hard to look at in that time was the fact that I knew that I was a girl very early on mm. in life and um it took a lot of time for me to accept that because I think a lot of people kind of knew before I did. Hmm. I yeah. was misgendered a lot as a kid. Everyone thought I was a girl. And so there, there, there was a lot of shame with identifying as a woman because so many people use that to make fun of me. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it, it was definitely a journey to reclaim that um, and repurpose that for myself. Thanks for asking. Your bio talks about addressing the roots of oppression and discrimination. Uh, I realize that this is a broad and extremely complicated topic. I'm not asking you to solve it here on the show, although if you could, that would be great. <laughs> but if there was one thing that you could ask each listener to put some effort into, if there was like a, a basic step that if everyone did this thing, it would help. What would you choose to be that step? I think everybody carries some kind of gender pain. And what I mean by gender pain is some incongruence between how you identify and how you feel or what you like to do, what you like to wear, how you like to express yourself. You know, the world has carved up everything into two-box system, and there's very few people who fit 100% in the box that they live in. And whatever discrepancy you have, maybe it's 90% you fit, and there's 10% of you that doesn't fit, to, to examine your own relationship 
to your gender and to understand where your gender pain comes from. And usually it's around things that you were shamed or humiliated for, whether that is your relationship to sports and athleticism or your relationship to doing care work um, or anything that, that is very gendered. Because there's nothing I can tell you about trans people that will help you understand or help change your perspective. What changes perspective is how you think about yourself in relation to these ideas. We need empathy and empathy comes from within you, from you sourcing your own experience to make sense of another. And if you don't do that step, where will your empathy come from? It's such a classic therapist answer. <laughs> well, it, oh, to be fair, it was a classic podcast question. Can you just like clear this up for us? Just reduce this down to a single thing we can do. Like if I recycle, we're cool, right? <laughs> um, there are these small steps that each and every one of us, if we do this thing, it will help. And helping and pushing the bar slowly but surely is is really useful. So thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. I, I, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and, you know, talking about the book. I can't wait to finish reading it as I'm going to be chatting with Shelley Thompson this weekend. Uh, we're doing a book talk in Wolfville and uh, on trans inclusion and storytelling. So it should be super exciting. And uh, I can't wait to tell her about our conversation as well here today. Can't wait to tune in. Fantastic. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much, Sen and Emma. It's the end of the road for this episode of Trans Canada Stories. If you'd like more information on our other programming, check out simplygoodform.com. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and that we'll see you again next time.